Today we're going to be in John chapter 14, starting with verse 15. So the last time the Lord encouraged his disciples, he's going to the cross, and today he shares with them how to have a deeper relationship with God. Now the disciples thought, probably as many Christians think, well, I'm, I'm close to the Lord. However, he shows them, and he takes them, and us, into a greater understanding of intimacy with God. Now this intimacy involves the Holy Spirit. This involves God's uh, part of God who, who resides in us and, and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit when we become believers. So the disciples, after walking with him and being shoulder to shoulder and watching everything he did, this was, a, you have to remember, we've had 2,000 years to study the Bible. He was telling them something that was a new concept. It was difficult for them. And as we starting to get into the depth of what the Lord is speaking about here, you'll see for obvious reasons why some ministries will not cover this teaching. It will cut through the veneer of the shallow Christian culture, even in the United States, and take us into a depth, frankly, many don't want for a variety of reasons. And we'll jump into that and look at that. Verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. The Nestle Allen and other uh, manuscripts, uh, there's a little bit of a nuance. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So we left off at the beginning of the chapter, Again, there was no chapter delineations until many years later. The ability of the believer for mountain-moving prayer, to do miracles, hey, that's all neat stuff, but here we're going to talk more about the source of those. See, some today want God's blessing but leave God out. They just want the blessings. Now, to the disciples, as Christ was leaving them physically, the Holy Spirit was going to take a more active role in the disciples' lives and all believers. And this book, uh, this gospel... We're going to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit, who I believe is arguably the most misunderstood of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And how is this going to happen? How do they continue this deep communion with God? Well, first off, they can start, we can start by keeping his commandments, especially the ones or the ones who love one another. Keep is, when we look at the word keep in the Greek, there's other words associated with that, to watch and to guard, as in a treasure. Let's think about the things in our lives that we maybe put in a safe, safe deposit box, under lock and key, we hide it behind the picture, and there's a, you know, fa- you know whatever it is, to guard our possessions. Well, we really should be guarding God's word, and where is that safe? In our heart, in our heart. If we truly love Jesus, we will guard and, and keep his word as a treasure, in our hearts. Now, when you look at a relationship, um, the one you love, you love the one you love, what the what one you love loves. I know it's a little confusing. Let me say it again. When you're in a relationship, you love what the one you love loves. And whether it's um, a sport, whether it's a hobby, I mean, I was, could care less about flowers and cats until I met my wife. I'm big into flowers and cats now. I can tell you the difference between a hibiscus and a hydrangea. How's that? But you love what the one you love loves. 
So with us as believers, it only stands to reason that we would love what God loves. Verse 15, it's a conditional statement. If, then. So if you love me, Jesus says, then you're going to do these things. You know, our elder John covered on Wednesday obedience. And we don't like that in American culture. We don't want to be obedient to anything. But we've got to cut through the culture, even the Christian culture, and be obedient to the Lord because he equates that with love. 1 Samuel 15, 22, God says, I desire obedience over sacrifice. Now I'm going to use a few examples of what that means. I remember when I was a kid and my sister and I, when it was Mother's Day or my mother's birthday, she was a single mom raising you know, two kids. It was, wasn't easy. So we, could, we were wild at times, but you know, on those special days like birthday and Mother's Day, we would say, hey, mom, what do you want? What can we get you? And she would say, I just want you to be good. <laughs> I just want you to listen to me. But it was always easier to buy her like a little cheap perfume from Kmart or something like that than to do what she asked us to do. Now I find myself as a parent saying that to my son, just be good, just be obedient. It's kind of funny because God also says, don't give me stuff, be obedient. I guess all parents are the same, and all kids are the same, because what's easier to do? To have a deep, how do I have, Pastor Joe, a deep relationship with God? You know, and you think about all the ramifications of that deep relationship, and then you say, you know what, it's just easier to memorize a prayer, to put some money in the basket, to, uh, you know, to go through some type of religious ritual. But God says, I want your heart. I want your heart. I want all of you. I don't want that stuff. And I also want you to be obedient to what I ask you to do. Now, I've got to be honest with you. In my flesh, I can't be obedient to the Lord. And that's why we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, because he, as a part of God, really helps us in many ways, and we're going to cover that. So verse 16 Jesus says, I'm going to give you another help, helper. The Greek word is parakletos, which can mean helper or comforter or advocate. Now, when we talk about a comforter, language has changed. Especially in the winter, a comforter is some big fluffy piece of fabric that you put on yourself and you snuggle under and it keeps you warm in the winter. Or, or I need to be comforted you know, when I'm having a hard time. You know, stroke my arm and tell me everything's going to be okay. But really, that word comfort means, it comes from the Latin, and it means with strength. And I've got to be honest with you, when, the, when I think the, the weight of the world's burdens is on my shoulders, I don't want somebody stroking my arm. I want somebody helping me to lift that up so I can bear it. And the Holy Spirit does that. He gives us strength. He helps us. He's alongside of us. He's our advocate. Sometimes he, you know, people say, oh, he's your defense attorney, because it's a legal term. Sometimes he's our prosecuting attorney. He convicts us and tells us when we're doing wrong, you shouldn't do that. It's, it's against what God says, so he can be both. So we look at that. Now, he goes, and, and I'll say this too, he goes on to say that, uh, that he may abide with them, the disciples, but it's also for us, forever, forever. Now, in the Old Testament, it was an old dispensation. We live in the dispensation of grace. So David said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The men of God and women of God were used mightily when the Holy Spirit came upon them. However, in the Old Testament, it was a temporary thing. In the New Testament, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We don't have to worry about him disappearing on us. He's always with us. Verse 17, he goes on. The spirit of truth which the world, now the world aggregately in rebellion, cannot receive because it neither sees God nor knows God. You and I were part of the world. If you're a believer, you and I were in that category of the rebellious world. 
However, when we decided to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we became part of the family of God. We moved from one category to another. The spirit of truth means that everything he does is associated with truth. So when you meet someone who's in a cult and they seem like they're really nice, okay, they might be nice, but they don't have the truth because they're under false teaching. If you have a a carnal Christian friend that says, don't judge me, you know, I'm filled with the spirit. However, they're always skirting the truth and playing fast and loose with the truth. They're not a spirit-filled Christian. Why? Because he is the spirit of truth. No falsity at all. Now, let me look at some Greek prepositions here because Jesus gives us a hint here. Para, kletos, uh, you know, with, en, meaning in. He'll be in you. He'll be upon you. Now, the first one is epi, okay? The Greek preposition epi, which means upon. And that happened largely at Pentecost. The disciples were praying and praying, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they were able to do amazing things because of that. And we can have that as Christians too. There are times we pray and we pray, and God, you know, if we're, our heart is right and this is what we want, he'll set us forth in a, in a position or with a mission to do something, but the Holy Spirit needs to be empowering us. He says para. Para means to be with. Okay, the Holy Spirit was with those in the old dispensation, convicting them. It's like, hey, you shouldn't do that. Hey, God's trying to get your attention. So he's with us, that para. Uh, we also find that he is also en, or in us. And that's important too, because uh, Jesus at some point was going to give the Holy Spirit wholesale. So every believer was sealed, en meaning in, inside of us. But he says to the disciples, but you know him. The world doesn't know him, but you know him. And the disciples, almost if I could answer for them or read their minds, they're like, really? How do we know the Holy Spirit? But Jesus is basically saying to them, he's been with you all along. You know, I do things by the Spirit. You, I've empowered you to do miracles, and you've done it by the Spirit. You may not realize or put your finger on it, but that's who's been helping you to do these incredible things. Right? When Peter had this great revelation about Jesus, it didn't come from his knowledge or his brain. It came from the Spirit of God. So we as believers now, we know him, and it's an experiential knowledge. This is a relationship with God. And there's really nothing to be frightened about. And, and listen, we're all, this is, we live in New Jersey, okay? So we're all guarded, aren't we? And if you've come from another state and you've been living here not too long, Learn how to be guarded. Learn how to develop some calluses because it's coming. However, when we deal with God, we can open up those force fields. We can open up our hearts and say, Lord, come in and not fear it because God is a gentleman. He's not going to take over us. He's not going to dominate us. So my question to you is, do you want that? Do you want that deep relationship with God? If you're not a believer, we'll talk about how to get there. If you are a believer, express those thoughts to him in prayer, in your prayer closet, because he wants to do that in everyone's life. 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, synonyms in the semantic range for orphanos in the Greek are three. Number one, I will not leave you bereaved. I will not leave you comfortless. And I will not leave you parentless. Those all three apply. So in other words, Jesus didn't say, hey, um, I'm hanging out with you guys for three plus years, and hey, by the way, I'm out of here, my time is up, you know, and they go off the cliff. That was not what he designed to do. All those years he spent with them were for a reason. 
So I'm not going to leave you orphans. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. Plus, after my death and resurrection, I'm going to come back and you're going to see me. It's going to be a post-resurrection 40-day ministry that you'll be with me again. And in addition to that, there's a scripture that says, where two or more, Jesus says, are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. So he's here. He's here. He's here with us. You know, if you're at home and you're going through the Bible and there's, you know, two or three Christian friends get together, he's there. He's there. He hasn't left. You know, there's times that we feel lonely, don't we? We feel lonely. But the truth is, we're never alone. We're never alone. Verse 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This was hard for the disciples to understand because Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. Well, they read the Old Testament. The Messiah was to come in power and conquering. But, you know, it's funny, we, we want to read what we want to read. There was also scriptures that I know they knew where it talked about the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah. Yeah, that's good. I don't know when that's going to happen. But Jesus, I want you to take, take care of Rome. Take care out the sword, and we're going to be victorious. We're going to turn this place upside down. He's like, no, a little while, and the, the world's not going to see me anymore. So you can imagine this was difficult for them to understand. Christ's first coming was a spiritual transformation. It was a transformation of the heart. That sword stuff is coming, but the lamb had to come first before the lion. He says, a little while and the world won't see me. Why? Because even after his resurrection, his post-resurrection ministry was really to encourage the believers. Did people get saved in that time period? I'm sure they did. But you can see this intimacy with Christ and his followers. Another fulfillment, a little while longer, the world won't see me, but you will, is the rapture. One day the Lord will come for his believers. The world at large, they're going to speculate, alien abduction, all this kind of stuff. They don't know. But the believers will know because they'll be taken home. And the world will have to deal with voids in positions of authority and, and workers and stuff. And they'll have to figure it out. And you'll see those plagues of revelation take place. He says, because I live, you will live also. The resurrection brings us all eternal life. Now, I've said this before, that's a, a big cult kind of following, and, uh, you know, they, for whatever reason, you know, the new vampires are all young and beautiful. You know, in the old days, they were the old, <laughs> you know, with the white faces. And, but that's an appeal to young people. You can live forever. You know, they can do amazing things. They beat each other up, and they never die, and you know, they've been around for thousands of years. Everyone desires eternity. Everyone desires to live forever. Who really wants to die? Especially as we're getting older. I mean, who's looking forward to just dying and, and sitting in the ground somewhere? Nobody. However, that's phony. That's vampire stuff is fantasy. The truth is, when we are believers in Christ, we're, we're eternal beings. You know, we get to live forever in a glorified state. You know, so the vampire thing is, they got a few things right, but, you know, it's, it's very demonic and dark there. Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body, and after that he can't do anything to you. Fear the one, respect the one who can take, kill the body and take the, the rest of us that remains, the, the spirit, and cast it into hell. God has that power, but no, nobody has to go there. That's a choice that we make. Verse 20, in addition, he says, at that day you will know. 
See, the resurrection will bring all the puzzle pieces together. Disciples were struggling. They see Jesus whipped, beaten, bloody, you know, black eyes, crown of thorns, bleeding all over the place, can barely walk, dehydrated, uh, nailed to a cross, and man, they're really struggling with that. But when he rises again and they touch him and they, they feel the, the holes in the wrists and, and the hole in the side where the spear went, but he's glorified. He only kept those marks to show us how much he loved us. They're blown away. Everything starts to make sense at this point, but not, not at this portion in history and scripture. So we can look at this. We see this relationship. Jesus speaks about, you know, I'm going to come into your life. The Father's going to come into your life. We're going to see that we're going to make our home into your life. And you see this intimacy. And we're going to start delving again into a realm of Christianity that shallow Christianity, veneer Christianity, neither wants nor cares for. Many will stay in infantile and drinking the milk of, of spiritual things for their whole lives because they don't desire the meat of the deeper things. But this is where Jesus is trying to take us. You see, we can't understand this deep relationship as humans. You know, we have a, a certain relationship with our children and we squeeze them. And if you're a grandkid, a grandmother, a grandfather, you just, oh, you want to, like, you want to. You know what I'm saying. You just squeeze your little cute chubby cheek grandkids, but it's all you can get. It's skin deep. If you're married and there's intimacy, I'm going to get into this subject and I'm going to get out really quick, by the way. Okay? It's only skin deep. There's only so much and so far you can go. No one has ever experienced living inside of another person. So this really should be an eye-opener to us. God wants to be in us. He wants us to have this incredible relationship. And, and when we're trying to, listen, and we're, when we're faltering, he wants to lift us up. He wants to tell us things. He wants to show us things. He wants, he wants, he wants this relationship with us that's deep. But our human relationships are limited. So even as believers, our, our understanding is limited. But this is what he wants from us. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Does anybody see him answering his question? See, this is what I love about the Lord. And he does this to me too. But Lord, this situation. And he's like, no, this situation. You need to get yourself right, Joe, before you worry about that situation. I love that about the Lord. So many people asked him questions. This is a yes or no answer. He doesn't answer them. He goes in a direction that they don't expect. See, that's the beauty of our Lord. He doesn't stay in our lives so that he can win a popularity contest. So he can win a public opinion poll. I'm going to poll all the churches in the 21st century and see if they still love me. It ain't happening. When we really seek the Lord, he's going to tell us things that we don't want to hear, right? Any preacher who tells you something that you want to hear all the time, it's plastic. There's nothing beneath that veneer. So this is what's going on here. Now, it's very clear. It says Judas, not Iscariot. The name Judas in the English comes from Judah in the Hebrew, which was one of the 12 tribes. So it was a very popular name, like Peter's name, Simeon, one of the 12 tribes. So there were two Judas in the group. One was Judas Iscariot, who was the traitor. This is the other one. 
they're making clear that the other Judas is gone. Thomas asked Jesus questions. Philip asked Jesus questions. Now it's Judas' turn. Okay? And I think what he's saying to him is, listen, the whole thing about me, you know, see, the world seeing me, you seeing me, you, you, you guys are really getting deep on this issue, but let me redirect, like in a courtroom. I'm going to redirect. Let's talk about a relationship here, because that's really what I want to speak about. Because that's really what you're going to need as you guys see me go through the crucifixion and, and the burial. You're going to need that deep communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, Maybe like me, some of you have grown up in a religion. Maybe it's a big religion. Maybe it's Islam. Maybe it's some form of uh, Christianity. Maybe it's um, Judaism. And when I was younger, I, taught, I was taught by my religion that if you did something wrong, God was going to whoop you. Okay? Is there discipline? Oh, sure there is. However, all I knew was that God was going to whoop me. And I didn't know the love of God. I didn't know the closeness. I never was exposed to this until I started studying it as a Christian. And uh, eventually I just fell away from the faith as a young person because there was nothing for me because I was always bad. So I was just going to get constantly whooped. So I might as well have fun. This is my, the logic, right, that's going around in my head. I might as well enjoy myself now in the flesh because I'm going to get whooped later anyway. <laughs> It's got to be balanced. This morning, we're speaking about the love of God. We're speaking about the intimacy of God. We're speaking about, not for nothing, but sometimes I come up here and people say, yeah, that was a great message. I don't even know what I said. <laughs> I really don't. I actually have to listen to it again on the CD because I just say, pray, Lord, as I go up there, it's kind of like a car wash. When you put, the, you know, you drive the car there, you use the brakes, and you, you go on the rollers, and they say, don't touch the brake, don't shut the car off, don't touch the steering wheel. And the car just kind of does its thing, and when it comes out, it's clean. So there's going to be points in our life where we kind of go into that spiritual car wash. We get on the rollers, we pray, we ask the Holy Spirit to do a work, and then when we get out, we look and we get out of the car and say, well, the car's clean. How the heck did that happen? I didn't do anything. Exactly. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Every, I don't care how young, I don't care if you're 8 years old, I don't care if you're 88 years old. God wants to work in you. He wants to work in you. And this is, this is pretty impressive, what, what he does. And if you're sitting there, you might say to yourself, where do I sign up? We'll talk about that at the end of service. Bask in his love. It's a great concept. Now, he says this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Again, three times in nine verses, Jesus says, this is very important, when Jesus has to keep repeating himself, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. This is a conditional statement. I'll tell you this. If we call ourselves Christians and we don't care for his word, or we're not interested in knowing what God taught or what his plan is for our life, we don't really care for God. We care for ourselves, and we want to put a Christian label on us because it's a popular thing to do. If we're guided by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will guide us into his word and help us to understand it more. So many say, I love God, but they're self-deceived. Are we a Christian nation? You know, Christians get so fired up when a politician says something. Maybe in theory, but not in practice. If we are a Christian nation, we are a Christian country, why are our communities falling apart? Why are our marriage rates look just as bad as the secular world's marriage rates? We need to clean house. We need to start loving God more. 
We need to start loving his word more. I was on a panel yesterday. It was, it was very interesting. It was another church in the area and with four other pastors. And it was amazing because I never met these guys before. They never met me. And the questions were, why is the church struggling? Why are Christians struggling? It was amazing how the Holy Spirit moved because we all had the same answer, but we hit it from different angles. Like the first question, why are Christians struggling? I hit it from an aggregate, uh, an aggregate viewpoint. Another gentleman hit it from an individual, and another uh, gentleman, pastor, hit it from a church standpoint. So it was really neat how many facets were going on in this discussion. The next time we have one, I'm going to advertise it because it really was a lot of fun. Uh, and the audience got to ask a lot of questions. But why? Why are our families struggling? Why, if we call our Christians, are we, are we always struggling? You know? I mean, there's an answer to that. I mean, God is holy. He says, be ye holy because I am holy. Be ye set apart from the world. If someone says, as a Christian, well, I don't really care what God's word says. I just love God. That word is thrown around too much. I mean, if you look at movies in Hollywood, they can do anything with actors and actresses and, and cinematography. And, you know, they make adultery look good. They really do. You'll watch a movie and it's about this adulterous relationship. And, you, and they say, love, love. And you come out there feeling all swooned. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a, it goes against what God says. Now, you may be saying to me, first of all, if you think I'm perfect, talk to my wife in the back. She'll set you straight, okay? I need the Holy Spirit every day of my life. Especially being a pastor, I need the Holy Spirit more. Because I can't do this job in the flesh. I will, I will hurt you. I will destroy this church. So keep that in mind. Uh, we all need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So you see this triad of success. Obedience plus the word equals love. Now, I'm going to hit on one more thing before we move on to the next scripture, is the tenses. Sometimes, and you know, if you take a cursory look at the scripture, you'll see Jesus say, well, in a little while I'm going to be here, and then later I'm going to be there, I'm not going to be here, and then he's speaking about the past, and he's speaking about the present. It's post-resurrection, crucifixion, you know, I'm sure the disciples, their heads were spinning. Remember, we live in linear time. You know, when you were in grade school, they showed you the timeline. Everything on this side is the future. Everything on that side is the past. Right here, we're in the present. A second later, it just moved into the past category. So we see things in linear time. You know, we live, we're born, we die. God sees things all at the same time. So you know this just wasn't a book written by men because Jesus is, is masterful about where he puts all the tenses. And to the disciples, it's confusing, but he knows exactly what he's saying. You know, and once they're filled with the Holy Spirit, it all starts to make sense again because it's in the past now. Make sense? <laughs> Good. Verse 25. Nobody sends me emails, so I really think that I must be doing a good job. <laughs> if you have a question, please talk to one of the pastors, send me an email, call the office, because we don't want these questions to go unanswered if you do have any. 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all the things I said to you. Don't worry, guys. It's a little stressful right now. I know you're just focusing on me being taken from you, but the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in your life. Okay, the Father's going to send him. He's going to remind you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us too. When you feel that little voice or hear that little voice saying you shouldn't do that, 
That's the Holy Spirit saying, what you're planning on doing is really against God's word. He reminds us of the teachings of Christ. And sometimes when we get into, and we've spoken about this, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, sometimes he'll give you a word of knowledge that even if you didn't read that scripture, he just gives it to you. And and it just, it it blows you away if you've ever experienced it. So um, certainly something that we need. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That, there's a lot of punch in that verse. And it goes back to the beginning of uh, chapter 14 where he said, starts out, let not your heart be troubled. Okay? There's a reason why he says this. Because of what's coming. What he does is he puts God's peace in direct opposition to the world's peace and to fear. That's important. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. The peace of God drives out all fear. And they can't mutually coexist the same space. So in other words, if we're filled with fear, we don't have the peace of God. If we're filled with the peace of God, that drives out all fear. Understand? And I liked chemistry. Um, Chemistry was a lot of fun. Remember the equilibrium equations where the arrows were going in both directions? Um, acid plus a base equals a salt plus a water. And you have this ebb and flow back and forth. But that's how we live our lives. We live our lives, sometimes we're in fear. And sometimes we have to catch ourselves and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm really stressing about this. I'm really in fear about this. And God doesn't want me to live this way. We go to God. He gives us the peace if we're open to it. And it drives out that fear, right? Let's look at what was going on in that, um, in that time period. Number one, the Roman peace, the Pax Romana. Was it peaceful? Sure it was. Why was it? Because they killed you if you rebelled. So it's that simple. You know, that's what many even countries do with, that have totalitarian authority. They kill anybody who rises up. So, hey, there's peace. You look around, there's really not a lot of crime. Hey, this is great. Not really. The Romans controlled peace through, number one, the sword, number two, slavery, and they controlled slaves through crucifixion. They would actually line up crucifixes, crosses on the highway with men slowly dying and birds eating their flesh. It sounds really gross, but it it put the fear into anyone who would try to rebel against Rome. So that's a bad peace. That's a forced peace. Now we look at the world's peace. We can look at this individually, right? What's peace to us? Maybe the absence of drama. You know? Maybe we're going through family situations. Maybe we're going through work situations. Maybe all the above. I just want peace. No, what you're actually saying is, I don't want any drama right now. I want to take a rest. So that's the world's peace. There's a ceasefire. You look at the Middle East. That place is a powder keg. Is there peace right now? Sort of. But it'll start up again. All you need is a spark. However, the world's peace, check this out, is solely based on external circumstances. Now let's look at the peace of God. This is the good stuff. The Lord's peace is the peace through the storms, through the wars, through the drama. Eric was up here speaking about Mauritius. We have other missionaries that go into war-torn regions, and there are Christians who have an amazing peace as the... (laughs) As the mortars are going back and forth. How's everything? I'm a little dizzy right now, but I really feel the Lord in this situation. How can they do that? Because they're filled with the Lord's peace. You see, the Lord's peace is not based on outward circumstances. It's solely based on 
the internal. See, God wants us to transform us from the inside out. Now, you show me any culture, including American culture, and I'll tell you where um, you know, poison makes its way into the church. There are a lot of Christians who just want peace externally. And they pray to God and they get mad at God when those external circumstances are not removed. Is it quite possible that the Lord wants us to go through those situations, but he wants to be with us through those situations? He may be saying in prayer, I'm not going to take away the external this time. This is a lesson. I'm building your character. I'm teaching you so that when you're, you're through that storm and the next person goes through it, now you can help them because of your experience. The world's peace is external. When we ask for God, and, and listen, we do, I do, oh, just get this monkey off my back. Sometimes the monkey is still on our back, but we actually have peace. Hey, it looks pretty weird. What's that on your... It's a monkey, but everything's good, you know? <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering, patience, right? It's goodness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, it's self-control, and I missed one, uh, kindness. There you go. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 28. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I love that about Jesus. He challenged them. If anyone on the planet loved Jesus, it was the ones that were with him for three plus years. And he said, if you loved me, you would rejoice because I need to go to the Father. Jesus wanted them to look past their own self-centered feelings. And the truth is, put myself in this category, when we're stressed, when things are difficult, what do we want mostly? Our way. Our way. We can't think about, and I'll tell you, even the whole hurricane, Sandy, was a big test. Did we... Close ranks, circle the wagons, say, I just need to take care of myself. I can't be concerned about anyone else. Or we, or we continue to be other-centered through that storm, literally, you know, in two ways. Sometimes God shows us things about ourselves that need to change. Jesus came in the form of a man. He died for our sins. And we ought to be thankful that he was with us as long as he was because we have you know, his biography written for us to, to study for many years. However, after his sacrificial death and ascension, he was to be back and rejoin the Father and to be fully glorified. Now, he, he challenged the, the disciples, if you love me, you'd let me go. Not that they could hold him back, but you would let me go. When we truly love another person, if, if I have things that I want and that I feel that I need for my peace, it maybe has nothing to do with the Lord's peace, and I'm in a relationship with somebody who you know, if they fully, if I allowed them to flourish, it could infringe on my comfort and, and my needs and my wants. Uh, I'm loving that person I'm in a relationship if I let them go and flourish to my sacrifice. So understand, love is sacrificial. If you loved me, you would be okay with what's going on and let it happen and trust me. Verse 28, he says, I go to the Father, but the Father is greater than I. Now, this can throw confusion into your thinking unless you go back to what I said a few Sundays where when we speak about Jesus and we ask the question, we have to ask it from two perspectives. As a man, he slept, he was tired, uh, he could bleed, 
He was a man. As God, he could raise the dead, he could do miracles, he could walk on water. So we have to ask the, the, the question twice when we speak about Jesus. And here's where the debate comes between the Arians and the Gnostics. Who are these people? Why do I care? Because the Arians were a fourth, under Arius, their leader, 4th century, and they taught that Jesus was just a man. They focused on the scriptures about what he did as a man, and they put blinders on when he came to his divinity. Now the Arians... Uh, more than a thousand years later, have become the Jehovah, Jehovah Witnesses. That's not new teaching. It's old recycled heresy. Who were the Gnostics? Well, the Gnostics looked at the scripture, looked at Jesus' life, and they said, wow, he could raise the dead. He was sinless. He could walk on water. And they said, he's fully divine, which he is, but I don't want to look at the part about him being a man. So they believed that he actually didn't even take a physical form, that if you were walking on the beach with Jesus, you could look back and only see your footprints because he was a phantom. He really didn't exist in bodily form, which we know the scripture doesn't teach that. So you have these two competing ideas. The devil is always in the extremes. Understand that. When someone is an extremist in Christianity, I don't mean a love for their Lord. I mean an extremist, and they're doing things that the Bible doesn't speak about. The devil is always in those extremes. We need to be balanced, because God is balanced. Now, the disciples, of course, were addicted to Jesus. I'm addicted to Jesus, and I didn't walk with him. I didn't partake in the, the, you know, the multiplication of the food. I didn't see the raising of the dead, but I'm addicted to them. So I can, we can certainly understand where they're coming from here. Verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. So in other words, Judas got the ball rolling. He got the religious establishment against Jesus. Satan thought that this was the coup de grace. I'm going to take him out. And Jesus said, listen, this stuff has to play out. Um, is Satan the ruler of this world? Yes. Why? Because mankind forfeited the, the gift of creation that he was given by God to Satan when he rebelled against God and refused to be reconciled. So Jesus is going to come and at some point make it right, recreate the world, new heavens and a new earth. However, right now, unfortunately, it's under the sway of the evil one. And he says uh, basically that he, he has nothing in me. And that can be better translated in he has nothing over me Um, pretty much Jesus was Teflon. Satan couldn't do anything to him. He had to let it play out, though. Verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. After this, as we go into chapter 15, Jesus is going to be taking his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, They're going to be praying. Uh, Jesus is going to be arrested by the religious leaders. Uh, His trials are going to come up. So we'll see the next successive chapters take place just prior to the the betrayal and the arrest. But what is Jesus saying? So the world knows that I love the Father. I'm going to move towards something that's going to be very uncomfortable for me, to say the least. Jesus was showing obedience to his disciples. Jesus was leading by example. And any leader, especially in ecclesiastical authority, can never say or should never say, You all have to do this, but I don't have to because I'm the leader. A good leader will lead by example. And that's, of course, what Jesus did. Um, Jesus could have cowered in the upper room and say, boy, I know a lot about crucifixion. That's really going to be painful. When they hit me with that first spike, that's going to set my median nerve into a a frenzy and it's going to send shockwaves up my shoulder. He didn't do that. And my question to us is, do we hide in the upper room? You know, when there's something that we need to do, when there's something that God is moving on, moving us on to maturity, do we cower in the upper room? 
Or do we do like Jesus said, you know what? If God is with me, I'm going I'm to go through this. Right? So what does Jesus teach us? It's a sobering reminder that Jesus was departing and their relationship was going to change. And everything he taught them and every experience he had with them had to be brought to remembrance. They had to rely on his word and the Holy Spirit as they weren't going to be with him tangibly. Now, their communion, they thought, probably was going to become more distant. But what Jesus was showing them was the opposite was true. It's better that I go because when the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to be a different relationship. He's going to be in you. So this, they could never express or understand the depths of their closeness with God until they allowed Jesus to go, until they accepted the Holy Spirit into their life. And the question is, is there an application for us? Absolutely. We may come to a point in our lives where we realize that our life is not where it should be. Um, there could be believers that are constantly complaining, that are constantly talking, that have no power in their lives, that are always unfulfilled, that their identity has become a victim complex. First of all, that's not of God, and it never has to be like that. That can all change, and it's not his fault. You know, sometimes, and we all get caught up in this, um, probably at some stage in our walk, is when things are going bad, and, and we've helped cause it, that we blame God and say, he's not helping me. No. And I tell you what, when I'm struggling in my life, I, I talk to God, and I kind of, I laugh, I smile, and I'm like, you know, Lord, you didn't create this. You know, you're perfect, you know. So when I talk to him, he's always right. So I need to look in the mirror and see where I went wrong and where I need to change. We'll start with me first. But as we learn the word and the Holy Spirit convicts us, our hearts burn and yearn for deeper things. And we want the things of God that we know after reading the word that we don't possess right now. I just want to encourage all of us to move from a state of shallow or cultural Christianity. Think about our peers. Think about what we do. Think about our life as a Christian. And open our hearts wider for God to come into it. In Luke eleven thirteen, this is amazing because when we talk about prayer, Jesus says, ask anything that you want in my name and my character. And when we're carnal and we're fleshly, we start to think of things that are just for us. Wow, I can just ask for anything, this big celestial wish list. But we're thinking from the wrong heart. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen, he says, you can ask for as much of the Holy Spirit as you desire. When I first read that, that stopped me in my tracks. Look think about all the things I asked for and I wanted for me. But he says, you can ask for as much of the Holy Spirit as you desire. So you're t- telling me that if I really want as much of God in my life, that I can have that? The answer is yes. That is open to everyone here in this room. So I want to encourage you with that. I don't want anybody to leave here dejected. I want you to leave here saying, okay, I can see that maybe I don't really love his word, and maybe by that I don't necessarily really love Jesus, but I don't want it to be like that. This doesn't come without making a commitment to treasure his word and to rely on his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful that you always provide, and I've said this so many times, a remedy for our sin, for our shallowness.